I'm uh, sometimes he catches me off guard. He says things like, <clears throat> unless you renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. He says, come and follow me. He says, unless uh, the love that you have for your family looks like hate compared to your love for Christ, you're not worthy of Him. We don't spend a lot of time talking about those challenging verses. It's a lot more comfortable just to talk about the things we're comfortable in. But the Lord calls us to an intense relationship with Him. Been talking about Paul. We're in Acts chapter twenty-two, and and where we're at in 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 Acts is a point in Paul's life where he has shown us already in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-four. Remember, he he knew all the things that were coming, all the hardship, all the tribulation. Yet he said, "None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I might finish my race with joy." He was going to go anyway, right? Resolute. But then you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys all know where that's at, right? You recognize the number? Everybody knows that chapter, right? The love chapter? You remember what he says in the beginning of that? He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Part 1. Doesn't matter what gifts you have. That gift so many people long for, the gift of tongues, is empty and worthless if you don't have the kind of love Jesus asked you to have. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? Well, maybe the second verse gets better. Don't have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. Wow! I'm a little shy on the all knowledge and understanding all mysteries, but it's a challenging concept. If I had all of those things, if you imagine the power, if I had the power to say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it was done. The Lord said, if I have not love, I am nothing. I got all that. But if I don't have the kind of love that Jesus talks about, I'm nothing. Look at the third part. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, or give my body to be burned, if I have not love, profits me nothing. I think... um, I think God puts a a heavy requirement on His body. Those who are His disciples, those who follow Him. He said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other. That kind of love we express in our life. Uh, I find it pretty challenging. Actually, I find it amazingly challenging. In Acts chapter 21, we're going to take a look at a few scriptures and we're going to begin reading it, verse 37. But I want you to kind of hold that precept that we're talking about love, the requirements that Jesus had, that He spoke to us about the kind of love that He felt should be expressed in our life. The concept that in the great Shema, in the, in the Old Testament, what is it that the Lord called us to? The one thing God wants. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's pretty expressive. When I look at, at uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 37... Read it together with me. He says, But then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, Can I speak to you? 
And he replied, You speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So, when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Let's pray. Lord, pray, God, that you would open our eyes to just the truths in your word that, that I might get apart this, this point, Lord Jesus, this thing that you've laid on my heart. God, I pray that you give me the words to be able to say that express it correctly, that we can understand, that we can cling, that we can hold on to it. God, I pray you be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Paul, in his first missionary journey, came to a place called Lystra. And Lystra, you remember, he comes in and they, they heal a guy and they start trying to worship him. And pretty soon Paul's saying, what are you doing? Stop worshiping me. We're just guys like you. Look, Jesus Christ worked through us. This is how this was done. And they they go from you know him being the... The, the token of their affection to stoning him. Mob is fickle. You, you ever known that about a mob? Well, they take him outside and they stone him outside the city and they leave him there. Broken, bloody, leave him for dead. You know, the Bible tells us that Paul got up. And he went back in. Why? I mean, come on. You take a beating like that, and God sees fit to heal you, raise you up from maybe even being dead, you going to go right back to the people who stoned you? That's where he went. A lot of people think when he walked back in the city and the people saw him, that's when Timothy got saved. That's where Timothy grew up. You know Timothy. He was Paul's disciple. Then we see here, you know, Paul on his third missionary journey. Everywhere he goes, the, the Lord through the Holy Spirit says, when you get there, it's going to be bad. But he goes anyway. Why? And he goes there and when he meets with the church, the church officials say, look, everybody thinks that you've uh, gone Gentile. So what we need you to do is uh, we need you to go to the temple, join in this purification rite that these other guys are doing, so everybody will know you're still a Jew. You know, everywhere Paul went, he taught. He taught people a couple of things. But one of those things were you didn't have to become a Jew to be saved. The flip side of that is also true. You didn't have to stop being a Jew to be saved. You could still be a Jew. In the body of Christ, we can't tell each other apart. That should be our goal. But Paul never told a Jew he couldn't be a Jew no more. He had to become a Gentile. So he went and he he participates, pays for all the sacrifices that are being done. There's four other guys. Uh, there's four sacrifices each day that there's a sacrifice. The days during the purification rite that you sacrifice, the third day and the seventh day, so the third day, Paul paid for all the sacrifices, 16, and then four of his, so 20. And then on the seventh day, he's getting ready to do the same thing. The Word told us in chapter 21 that somebody, some Jews from, from Asia, from Ephesus, saw him. And you remember Ephesus. Ephesus was that place where Paul preached the Word. The Word of God changed people so radically that, that it changed the economy of the city. The economy of the city changed. Not because they went out and said, hey, let's change the economy of the city. No, they just stopped buying idols. So there was this riot. Remember all the people sat down in the, in the uh, uh, amphitheater there in, in Ephesus and they chanted for two hours how great Diana is. That's how crowds are. Well, some of the guys from that place, they see Paul and they don't like him much. 
And so they say, hey, this guy, he brought in a, he's got a Gentile with him. Now, he didn't have a Gentile with him, but that's what they accused him of. And so the crowd, the crowd that was like a powder keg, they were angry about Rome and they were looking for deliverance and they were wanting to throw off the yoke of oppression. In fact, in 12 years, they're going to start a, a, a revolution and that revolution is going to end in the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple. Every time there was a feast day, they brought extra soldiers in. And the soldiers would be in the Antonio Fortress waiting for some problem to happen. They were, they were always ripe for a riot. And sure enough, as he said, hey, there's the, this guy brought in Gentiles. The people jump him. Pretty soon, all the mob knows is everybody's hitting him. And, and so they just keep hitting him until two, at least, centurions come from Antonio Fortress with their commander, Commander Lysias. They come down through the Antonio Fortress, come into the temple, and they pull Paul out of the crowd. And they put two chains on him, and they drag him up into the barracks. So now he's away from all that. And the whole time all that's going on, I think Paul can't talk because, well, he'd just been beat on for a while. Kind of takes away a little bit of your... Of your, uh, I don't know, words that you want to say when you're spending your time ducking. I don't know, picking up some teeth, hoping you can put them back in. I think sometimes we forget that picture. Well, they take him into the barracks, and that's where we start reading. And Paul, when he comes to his senses, he, he looks to the commander and says, Hey, can I go back out there? Why? What motivates him? Paul tells us, I mean, we want to take the short road. Paul says that it's the love of Christ that compels him. It's a love of Christ. He wrote to the Corinthians, if you don't have love, all the stuff you do, even if you let your body be beaten, if it's not for love, it wasn't worth the beating you took. And now we see him desiring to go back in wanting to go back and see and sometimes i'll be honest i struggle with that love on the horizontal i feel like the love on the vertical i got good i get the whole love god thing and when i think about the things god's done in my life and how god's worked in my life i realize wow you know i i I know he he is worthy of all my affection but the horizontal thing i struggle with sometimes i i i don't like everybody you guys like everybody? I don't, I don't like it. Some people are hard to love. I've never had anybody beat me and then have to turn around and walk back in the room and, and try to share with them again. Paul writes to us something in Romans chapter 5. So hold your finger and axe. We'll be back because I'm still going to try to finish 22. But when we come to... I just want to camp on this idea, his motivation, the love. Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at, uh, I don't know, a few verses. He says in the beginning, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that's a nice way of saying, therefore, since you've been saved, justified by faith means I'm saved by my faith, my ability to trust Christ He makes me, He imputes to me righteousness. He makes me just as if I'd never done it. I'm justified by faith. I'm saved. That's what He he begins right there. Having been, it's already taken place. Having been justified by faith, what do I have as a result? I have peace with God. See, before we were enemies with God. That's a bad place to be. An enemy of God. But we were in that place. But it says in, in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 that we have peace with God, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's talking about an interesting concept. He's talking about 
Past grace, present grace, future grace. He's talking about the idea that the Lord has saved us and today He gives me the grace I need to go through, to, to have peace with God and to, and to follow the Lord, walk with Him, that I have access by faith into the grace by which I stand right now, today. Uh, that's grace for now. That's past, present, and hope. The hope of glory, right? Now what he tells us, he says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Future. Past, present, future. All that wrapped up in that relationship with Christ. In that relationship with Him. This is what we have in the past, in the present, and in the future. That hope that we have for the future is so important. Because that hope for the future is what extinguishes the the flames of the flames that want to make us quit. The things that make us want to say it's too hard. How can I love God more than I love my family? How do I love God more than I love my children? How do I love God enough? But He tells us, I, I saved you for the past. I give you the grace you need for today. And I give you the hope for tomorrow. And then he tells us that we hope, that hope that we have. Look what he says next. He says that hope. He says, not only that, we also glory in tribulation. doesn't say we glory because of tribulation. He says we glory even though we're in it. In tribulations. Why? Because we know what tribulations are going to accomplish in our life. He says that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we can glory in the midst of suffering and, and hardship and difficulty if we hold on to the fact, the hope... That what God is doing is giving us the endurance we need to persevere. That what God is doing is developing in us character. That what God is doing is giving us hope. And that hope, every time I go through a trial, I am reminded, this place ain't my home. I don't want to live here forever. I'm okay with having a house on a creek and getting to go out the backyard and fish all day. That'd be marvelous. However, comma, real life kind of gets in the way of all those dreams. Real life reminds me, this is not my home. I got a future home in glory. There's a whole nother reason that I live for. And that reason that I live for is to know. To know the love of Christ. To know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. To know the love of Christ. The height, the breadth, the depth. To know experientially the love of Christ. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Where does the love come from like that? It's not something I produce. It's not something I make because I want to. It's not something I get because I have a positive outlook on life. It's not something I achieve because I focus on a goal and I do everything to make that goal happen. It comes from the Lord. If I am lacking love horizontally, it's because I need more love vertically. Not necessarily that I need to produce in me more love of Christ. I need to receive more love from Christ. I think we choke off the hose. I think we kink it. I think we think that's it. That's enough. I don't know if I can really handle anymore. And we need it all. Every drop that He wants to pour out in our lives... Paul knew that so well. Think about Paul's life. When we look in chapter 22 and he rehearses his testimony. Who was Paul? He was a persecutor of the church. A killer of believers. A destroyer of people's faith. 
What was there in Paul that made God stop him on the road to Damascus? What was there in him that made God say, you know what, I'm just going to intervene in time and I'm going to shine a light down on you. And I'm going to ask you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you know, for Paul's whole life, what he would say? He said, man, I'm the chief of sinners. He was never proud of who he was. But he never stopped being expressive of how much God loved him to intervene in his life and change his direction. Isn't that an important stance for us to have? Paul, pretty gifted guy, went to all the important schools, studied under all the important guys. I don't know if he was a good speaker or not. Doesn't really matter. He understood that it was by the grace of God that God saved him. And that love expressed by God into his life and the receiving of that love expressed by God into his life flowed out. It went horizontal. So he loved the people who tried to kill him. So even though there was a possibility that he would be slain, he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't quit. He wouldn't quit because he was receiving the love that Jesus had for him. All of it. And recognizing that there was not something he did to deserve it. Oh, that's why we call it grace. It's a grace of God. You are saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Not of us. We didn't do anything. God poured it out. What's it say in John 3.16? For God so loved who? The world. So who did He pour it out on? Everybody. To as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to be called the... Sons of God, right? To as many as what? Believed on His name. To receive that that love that God is pouring out. That's what we need if we're going to be men and women who express the love of Christ in our life with our brothers and sisters, with our people we work with, with a guy who cuts us off on the road. You know the guy. You've seen him. He goes right around you, passes you like he's on fire. And then he hits his brakes. Because he had the speed to pass you. And the whole while you're thinking, that's the dumbest thing I have ever seen somebody do. Well, that's what you're thinking if you're thinking good thoughts. Some of you may have other things floating through your mind. That's another sermon for another time. But we want to be able to express the love of Christ. It doesn't hinge on, our, on the moment in time. It, everything hinges on that relationship vertically with the Lord, that relationship with Him. And that's what I think Paul did so well. Now listen to his defense. So Paul goes back because he loves them. He loves them so much in Romans chapter 9, he says, I am willing to go to hell if I could save any of my country, any of my brothers, any of my, and any of my uh, uh, fellow countrymen. He's not talking about family. He's not talking about brothers and sisters, his aunts and uncles. He's talking about people he had never met. He said, I'm willing to go to hell if I could save them. That's, that's crazy love, isn't it? What kind of love did Jesus have? The time came when he set his eyes toward Jerusalem, knowing when he got there, the cross was waiting. But he didn't turn around. He didn't quit. He didn't bail. He rushed headlong to the cross. 
That's a love he poured out on us. That's a love he calls us to pour out on others. Listen, in in chapter 22, listen to the defense. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. Acts 22. And when they heard, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. They all got more silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, most revered rabbi in, uh, in Jewish history. Taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. He's saying, look, this is what I was. Let me tell you who I was. I was all the things you are aspiring to be, he's telling the crowd. And more, in verse 4, he said, I persecuted the way to the death. I bound them as prisoners, both men and women, even the high priests. He bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem for punishment. And it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul. What did Paul do to deserve God intervening in his life? For that matter, what did you do? Oh, come on, Jackie. God didn't interrupt my life. He didn't put a light. He didn't shine down on me. He didn't ask me what I was doing. You sure? I think every conversion goes through this. We even sing songs about it. I saw the light. What do we mean when we say that? I finally understood. I knew a guy once. Heard everybody he ever knew. Mad at God. You know people like that? You ever been mad at God? Man, this guy is mad at God. Like 13 years he was mad at God. That's a long time being mad at God. Be pretty close to saying... He, he despised everything about God. Well, ultimately because his life didn't turn out like he was hoping it would. Ever been disappointed? Hmm. Anyhow, this guy, he's a piece of work. He got married. Cheated on his wife for... Four, five years. Every time he'd cheat on his wife, he'd come back and she'd forgive him. That'd just make him matter. So he'd do it again. And again. And again. And again. Nothing really ever changed. Might say... That lady is crazy. Oh, but she, she believed in Christ. Craziest thing, you know, she keep praying for him. I don't know why. You'd have gave up, wouldn't you? How many times he got to burn you before you quit? Ah, she prayed. The crazy girl got pregnant, of all things. Why? And finally, I think, uh, I don't know, six months pregnant or so, she said, I'm done. Got on a plane and she went home. About that time, that guy, he looked around at an empty house and he said, well, how did I get here? I grew up in the church, you know, he knew a lot about God and and uh, he was just mad. And all that anger to God really didn't make his life any better. 
Now he's in an empty house in the middle of Midway Park in North Carolina. So he rustled through a bunch of phone records and he found the sister of his wife and he called her just on the off chance she was there. And she was, just so happens. So he made them promises. You guys ever heard those promises? I promise I'll never do that again. You ever made those promises? I promise I'll never do that again. She came back. Crazy lady. I don't really know what she was thinking. Still pretty rocky. And that guy still sometimes didn't come home till four or five in the morning. Things pretty much look like they always did. Till one day. On the way to Damascus. As a matter of fact. Guy got a phone call from Colonel. He's in the Marine Corps and Colonel doesn't usually call Lance Corporals. Usually bad when that happens. So the guy went in to go meet with the Colonel. And the Colonel said, Son, we're getting ready to go to the Persian Gulf. Before we go to the Persian Gulf, we always do a variety of tests. And, well, I don't know any way to tell you this. It's a good way. Son, you have HIV. Oh. Say, you want to talk to a chaplain? Nope. I don't want to talk to him. He walked home. All the way home thinking, how am I supposed to tell my wife this? So he sat on the couch and said, Got good news and bad news. She's a pretty positive person. She always wants the good news first. So she said, Give me the good news. I'm not going to the Persian Gulf. Oh, cool. Baby's going to be born in a few weeks. Bad news. I have HIV. That's pretty bad news. Right? That light shone down. And God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Light gets pretty bright. He expected a lot of things. What he didn't expect was what she said next. She said, I don't want my husband to die. What are you talking about? You don't want me to die. Crazy. Why not? I ain't done nothing good. Haven't done nothing right. To you. Why shouldn't I die? I don't know, you have to ask her. So me and Kathy sat on the couch. And I said, okay, God, I have messed this whole thing up. I got a wife and a baby who I have condemned to death because of my sin. If you want me, you can have me. 
I ain't got much to give. Don't know how long I'm going to live. Don't really know what I can do for you. On the road to Damascus, the light still dawns. God still says, Jackie, Jackie, why are you persecuting me? That's my daughter you're married to. Why do you treat her like that? But he loved me anyway. And the love of God that was expressed in the relationship that Kathy had flowed out from her to me. She kept saying, I want to go back into that room. Oh, come on, he's beating you in there. He, they're treating you terrible. Why do you want to go back into the room? She kept saying, oh, I want to go back, just like Paul. I want to go back. Let me talk to him. Let me share with them. You know what? I'll go to hell if it means I could save him. If I could just share. If I could just get the point across. That's the kind of love God wants from us. All the time. And when you're the Saul, or Jackie, or you in your own story, and the love of God touches you that way, how can you not with Paul say, man, once upon a time this is what I was, but that's not who I am. The love of Christ changed me. I open up and receive all the love he had. Now, I still ain't all that much of a prize, folks. In case you didn't know that, Kathy would be happy to share with you the things that aren't <laughs> so great still. Everybody has a Damascus road. I never seen no light. I didn't necessarily hear the voice of God except through the love my wife had for me. Every time I do this, somebody wants to know the rest of the story. Well, ask somebody here, they'll tell you. I'm still here. We have three kids. No HIV. The story just gets better. The point is, I think, to recognize that. Sometimes people read this story and they say, well, if I had an experience like Paul, of course. Really? Come on. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Are you listening? He's knocking. Over and over and over. He's pouring out His love. If you'll have ears to hear and eyes to see, you'll see it. If you want to see it, you'll see it. You don't want to see it, there's nothing I can do for you. You want to be blind, stay blind. But He will never stop knocking. Paul never stopped going back into the room. And my wife would never stop loving me. How bad do you want to express the love of Christ in your life? It don't come from trying harder. You can only get that kind of love from Him. It's the only place it comes from. One place. Him. you got to plug into the source. To as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. He gives it. Paul told him, he said, look, this is what I was. But Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and this is not who I am anymore. I'm a chief of sinners. Don't know too many people worse than me, Paul said. I don't know too many people who sin more than I sin. I don't, I don't know why you can't see the change in my life. So I'll tell you about it. 
And he did. He said here in chapter 22, I left that place blind. You come to Christ, you never know what you're doing. Don't you know that? You come to Christ and you are blind just like Paul. I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. What am I supposed to do next? What do I do next? I don't know what to do. What do I do? I don't know. I just sat on that couch and I said, God, you can have it if you want it. It's all yours. And, uh, you know, the next morning my problems were still there. I was still blind. I was still sick. I was still messed up. Life is a journey, folks. There ain't no quick fix. Just walking with Christ. Walking with Him. So these guys led him by the hand to where God told him to go. And when he got there, God brought a brother into his life. The guy's name was Ananias. You remember the story, right? It's right there in chapter 22. The Lord said, Arise, go to Damascus, and I'll tell you what to do there. So he got up, was led by the hand, and a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came... And he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul. Now everybody wants to mean, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I, I'm a simple guy. I don't know. Maybe I don't understand. People say, they want to say, well, Saul wasn't saved yet until he got to Ananias' house. Well, why does Ananias call him Brother Saul? In those days, you didn't just call anybody brother. You called your brother, brother. You called another believer, brother. You didn't just call any old person, brother. Brother Saul. Why is Ananias say Brother Saul? He saw Jesus. He called him Lord. He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Does he have it all worked out yet? No, he doesn't have it all worked out yet. But Ananias helps him. He says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that same hour he receives his sight. He said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of Hear his voice, the voice of his mouth. The God of our fathers has chosen you. By the way, that's true of every believer. Ephesians chapter 1, you you can't just tear that part out. We are elect, chosen by God. He doesn't get saved till here, but later on, Paul says, I was called by God from my mother's womb. He don't get saved till I don't know, how old is he? At this point, he's probably around 60. At this point, when he's sharing the story. When he got saved, that was years earlier. So, I don't know at the point that that takes place. But, but when we look at it, man, he's, he's, he says, I was called from my mother's womb. But he didn't get saved till the midway, most, you know, halfway through his life, quarter, third, it doesn't matter. He got saved later. He got saved later. But he said, God chose me. It didn't have anything to do with me. He shined his light in my life. Why God give me Kathy? He could have given me anybody. He could have put somebody in my life who could have kicked me to the curb. He could have put people in my life who would have given up on me. Why didn't he? I don't know. John 3.16 says, because he loves me. I didn't do nothing to earn it. I did a lot not to earn it. He loves me anyway. He loves you. He loves everybody. John 3.16 is pretty simple. God so loved the... Thanks. That be everybody? Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. He chose you. To show you His will, to see the just one and hear the voice of His mouth. Well, I wish God would do that for me. Let me help you. Augustine said it best. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and do what you want. That's God's will. Is that complicated? It's not complicated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and do what you want. That's what Augustine said. The Bible says it like this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Same thing. Love God primarily, first in your life, above all things. Love God and do what you want. You'll be walking in His will. If that's still too complicated, I can simplify it further. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, 
going to all the world, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. That was not just to one or two people. That's to everybody. Tell people what Jesus is doing in your life. That's God's will. Right? To reveal His will to you and that you can hear His voice. You ever wanted to hear God's voice? What does He sound like? Is He a baritone? Is He a tenor? When He sings, is He high? Is high voice? Low voice? I think He sounds like Barry Seeklander, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) Whenever, Whenever He talks to me, that's the voice I hear. Well, if I heard God's voice, I'd believe. If I heard God's voice, oh, that's awesome. That's the best news I've had all day. If that's all you need to know to believe, let me make it simple for you. That little book in a chair right in front of you, the black one that says Holy Bible on it, that's God's voice. Oh. Yeah, we all have it. Everybody here. And everybody here, especially in the United States, is accountable for what it says he shows us his will we hear his voice he shines a light from the heavens in our life just like he did there all in an effort to express into your life the love of God so that you can express from your life the love of Christ to the people around you. That's our motivation and the reason behind the things we do. In verse 15 he says, You will be as witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But... The structure of this sentence means while you're calling on the name of the Lord for the washing away of your sins, get baptized. That's what it means. If you want to argue with me later, we can. I always love to do that. By the way, I don't ever get mad. I don't. I love to talk about the word. You want to talk? Let's talk, man. Let's have fun. That's what discipleship's all about, by the way, on Tuesday. So there's a little plug. Um, and then he says, now it happened when I would return to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple, I was in a trance and I saw him say to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly for they're not going to receive your testimony here. So on one hand, God told him to leave because trouble was coming. And another hand, God told him to come because trouble was coming. Isn't that weird? Do you know God doesn't do the same thing the same way every time he does it? Do you know that we don't all have the exact same experience? Do you know that we didn't have the same kind of moms and the same kind of dads and the same kind of brothers and we don't live the same kind of life and things happen for one person and don't happen for another? Did you know that? You know that the Bible says the rain falls on the evil and the good? <laughs> God does what God does because He's God. And if God says, get out of here, for the love of God, get out of here. <laughs> if God says, hey, I need you to stay, but it's going to get really bad, then stay. You do what God says. So, Paul left. Verse 19, I said, Lord, they know. Listen, look, look at my life. I imprisoned, I beat them. Everyone who believed on you. When the blood of, this, of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing. And he said to me, depart, and I will send you from here to the Gentiles. God said, no, you're going to the Gentiles. We're coming full circle. And those who were listening to him at this word raised their voice and said, away with this fellow from the earth. He's not fit to live. What happened? They hate the Gentiles. You know there's believers in that crowd, right? 
How do you know there's believers in that crowd? Well, because James said how many thousands had been saved. And Josephus said that there were a hundred thousand professing Christians in Jerusalem. So there were Christians in that crowd. Sometimes there's people we hate, huh? I, I don't want to act like the crowd. I want to act like Paul. Too often we act like the crowd. Are there people you hate? Don't make me start naming them. It's not okay. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you. Jesus said some hard things. He said, someone strikes your cheek, do what? Oh, turn another one? Nobody likes that. Some people even say things like, well, good, I only got two cheeks. They hit them both, I can hit them back. (laughs) I'm not sure that's what that scripture is saying. Jesus said some hard things. When we make the choice to love like Jesus, whether someone deserves it or not, you change a life. It's not you, it's the Holy Spirit in you. But you change a life. When Kathy was 15 years old, I think that's when we started dating. Were you 15? I got it right. When she was 15 years old, I, I brought her to church. First time she ever went to church. Started talking to her about the Lord. At a campus life, was it campus life? Campus life event, she got saved. Didn't really think a lot of it. But at that time in my life, I got to be, I don't know, part of the instrument that brought Kathy to the faith she was going to need to bring me back. Isn't God wild? And you'll never be disappointed living a life utterly and totally surrendered to Him. Now, today, I guess some days better than others. I love God more than anything. Some days I forget. That ever happened to you? But the Lord's usually pretty quick to remind me. And if I remember what He's done for me, what He's forgiven me from, what He saved me from, it helps me love the people around me the way God needs me to. Whether they hurt me or not, it don't matter. God didn't say love them if they don't hurt you. He just said love them. And He said of the people in this building, wall to wall, the people in the church, He said you guys love each other so much that people are blown away by how you love each other. Folks, we got to get better at that. We're not so good at that. I would much rather that the world knew how much we loved each other than the world knew anything else. Currently, the world knows a lot of the other stuff. But they don't know how much we love each other. Each other. The body. That should be the easy part, right? (laughs) Except, you guys are still people. And you do weird stuff sometimes. You say mean things. Can you believe? You'd be shocked some of the things people will say. Why, just yesterday, I had a fellow come up to me, pat me on the belly, said, you keep that, you're going to die real soon, preacher. Yeah, I might still go after you, though. 
Oh, I forgot. Love. Love. We're supposed to love each other. Actually, I don't care if you do that to me. It don't bug me. Knock yourself out. Drive yourself crazy. It's like beating your head against anvil. I spent a lot of years caring. I just don't care no more. Sorry. One day, the Lord will shine that light and say something. But until then, I got, I got too much to do trying to really understand the love of God and expressing it to others to worry about a lot of that other stuff. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, Lord. And I do pray, God, that we, each of us, would realize, God, we, we all have had an experience like Saul. If we know you as our Lord and Savior, you have shown the light of your truth into our life. And you have said to us, what are you doing? And where are you going? God, I pray that we would use that moment that God loved us, that God poured His love into our life. We pray that we would use it as a, as a catalyst to help us to know more about Him and know more about His love and understand more about what He wants to do and work in our lives. God, that we might be able to love horizontally. But I can't love horizontally without loving you, without your love expressed in my life, without you pouring the love that I need in me. God, I pray that those of us who are here and are believers and love you, that we would just delve deeper into you to know the love of Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. The height, the breadth, the depth, the love of Christ. God, I pray we'd know that. And we'd express it freely to one another. But God, there's some people here today that the light's just now dawning. That today the Lord has shown a light into your life and He has said, Where are you going? What are you doing? See, God loves you so much, He'll save you. He's just waiting for you to open the door. He stands knocking. I waited a long time. I heard a lot of people But the greatest day in my life was the day I opened that door. I was still blind the next day. Still didn't know what I was doing. But I had God with me now. His peace, His love, His forgiveness. And He gave me the strength I needed to walk the walk I needed to walk. Somebody here this morning, God's saying, man, He's been talking right to you all morning. And the light is shining. And the call has come. That's you this morning. There will be people up front to pray. You need to go see them. You need not to wait. You need not to think, oh, this is crazy. You need to push all that out of your head. You need to do what God's asking you to do. Your heart is pumping like crazy. You're 
trying to reach for excuses. What are they going to think, the people I'm sitting with? Who cares? They're going to love you. What are you talking about? You're going to be a brother or sister. You answer the call. God, I pray that your spirit would move. That your people would love you. And that your love would be expressed in our life. So when the world hates us like they hated Christ, and they beat us, and they stone us, and they leave us for dead, and they throw us outside the city, or they drag us into the prison, we'll say, put me back. I got something to say. I pray, Lord, you be glorified and that we make you our everything. In Jesus' name, amen.